As the Protestant reformers proclaim their message of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and the glory of God alone, they impacted the world for centuries to come, including the new world in America. We're continuing one of our traditions on Encounter God's Truth, beginning today as we learn about the Reformation from special guest teacher Dr. Andy Woods. It's just one more way of bringing you the timeless truths for changing times. I'm Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you back to this radio outreach of Whitcomb Ministries. For the fifth year in a row, we're pausing our normal routine during this fall season to invite Dr. Woods to discuss the importance of the Reformation. Dr. Woods is the senior pastor of Sugarland Bible Church of Sugarland, Texas, and the president of Schaefer Theological Seminary. As an attorney, he has a great interest in history and a real passion for the founding of America. He's also led a tour of the sites of the German Reformation and is the author of a book on the Reformation called Ever Reforming. So this year, we've asked him to teach us on the subject of the Reformation and America. How did the Reformation affect the establishment of our country, our Constitution, and our system of government? How did it impact the faith and culture of the society at the time that our country began? Dr. Woods will explore these and other questions over the next two programs, which will serve as a bridge between our remembrance of the Reformation and our celebration of this month's holiday of Thanksgiving. These historical studies remind us in a powerful way that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. So, welcome back again, Dr. Woods. We're anxious to hear part one of your message on the Reformation and America. How did the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century contribute to the foundation of the United States of America in the 18th century. You see, the Protestant reformers, although unforeseen, most likely in their own lifetime, put into the ground certain seeds that were later brought to development and maturity. And part of that maturity involves the formation of the United States of America. I would like to develop that thesis in two areas. Number one, total depravity. And number two, the early American educational system. Let me begin, if I could, with this brief quote from the late Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia. And he said this, Every tin-horn dictator in the world today, every president for life, has a Bill of Rights. That's not what makes us free. If it did, you would rather live in Zimbabwe. But you wouldn't want to live in most countries of the world that have a Bill of Rights. What has made us free is our Constitution. Think of that word Constitution. It means structure. That's why America's framers debated not the Bill of Rights during the Constitutional Convention of 1787 in Philadelphia, but rather the structure of the federal government. The genius of the American Constitution is the dispersal of power. Once power is centralized in one person or one part of the government, a Bill of Rights is just words on a paper. A Constitution is about setting structure, It's not about writing the preferences of special interest groups. Why is it that America's founding fathers were so interested in dispersing political power? 
The answer relates to the fact that they were influenced by the Protestant Reformation. And one of the great characters that came out of the Protestant Reformation was a man named John Calvin. And in the course of time, his disciples developed a system named after John Calvin called Calvinism. It's known by the anacronym TULIP. What does T stand for? It stands for total depravity. In other words, if someone believes in total depravity, what they believe is that every single human being has been touched by original sin, and original sin has contaminated all aspects of our being. Now, where did the Protestant reformers get this idea? They got it directly from the pages of God's Word. From passages like this, Romans chapter 3, verse 11, There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks God. Also, Genesis 8, verse 21, which says, For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Also, from Psalm 51 and verse 5, where David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David argues here that he inherited a sin nature at the point of conception. Now, if you believe that human beings are totally depraved the way we have described it, then that has a direct bearing on political views. Notice the words of Lord Acton, who said, All power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In other words, if somebody is influenced by the doctrine of total depravity, we don't want to trust people with political power. We want to divide political power up. And this belief, stemming from the Protestant Reformation, became the cornerstone of American liberty and freedom because it led to the notion of decentralized government, which our founding fathers promoted in terms of the American Constitution. Let me read to you, if I could, the words of James Madison in Federalist Paper number 51. He said, But what is government but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men, over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You first must enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. What Madison is saying here is America's founders noted a problem, and that problem is sin. And so, with that presupposition in mind, our founding fathers very wisely divided political power amongst the three separate branches of government. In other words, they divided power horizontally. They created a system where not a single man or a single group of people or a single clique could get control of the entire government. 
because political power was divided amongst three separate branches of government, and there were checks and balances between each of those branches, preventing one branch from gaining control over the others. So we have the judicial branch today, which interprets the law, the legislative branch, which makes the law, and then the executive branch, which enforces the law. And then our founding fathers actually went a step further and they decided to divide political power, not just horizontally, but vertically. And they ended up creating a system of government that has two layers. We have today the national government, and then we have political power resting also with the individual state governments. And the Tenth Amendment is very clear that the powers not reserved or not enumerated to the national government are reserved for the state governments. And I'm here to tell you that we wouldn't have such a system unless our founding fathers believe that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, which means they believe that the people under the government and the people administering the government were tainted by the exact same sin nature. And so, as Madison said in Federalist Paper Number 51, we have to create a system of government that's strong enough to curb the sinful appetites of the masses, but weak enough so those that are running the government who are tainted by the exact same sin nature won't move into full-fledged totalitarianism. So our founding fathers believed very strongly in this doctrine of total depravity, stemming from the Protestant Reformation. Notice the words of Alexander Hamilton. He said, take mankind in general, they are vicious. Notice also the words of John Jay, the first uh, Chief Justice to the United States Supreme Court, he said, the depravity which mankind inherited from their parents introduced wickedness into the world. That wickedness rendered government necessary to restrain the violence and injustice resulting from it. Notice the words of Patrick Henry, who also explained, show me that age and country where the rights and liberties were placed on the sole chance of their rulers in being good men without a consequent loss of liberty. Notice again the words of James Madison who observed there is a degree of depravity in mankind which requires a certain degree of circumspection and distrust. Now, our founding fathers believed the way that they did on this issue of total depravity because of the influence of the Protestant reformer John Calvin on their thinking. Many, many historians have come to this conclusion. Notice, uh, for example, the words of Lorraine Bettner. After sort of summarizing the population of early America, he says, thus we see about two-thirds of the colonial population had been trained in the school of Calvin. Never in the world's history had a nation been founded by people such as these. 
Notice also the words of E.W. Smith, who says, If the average American citizen were asked who was the founder of America, the true author of our great republic, he might puzzle to answer. We can imagine his amazement at hearing the answer given to this question by famous German historian Ranke, one of the profoundest scholars of modern times. Says Ranke, John Calvin was the virtual founder of America. These revolutionary principles of republican liberty and self-government taught and embodied in the system of Calvin were brought to America and in this land where they have been born or have borne so mighty a harvest were planted by whose hands? The hands of Calvinists. The vital relation of Calvin and Calvinism to the founding of the free institutions of America, however strange in some ears the statement of Ronke may have sounded, is recognized and affirmed by historians of all lands and all creeds. In the words of another historian, quote, Calvin was the founder of the greatest republics. The pilgrims who left their country in the reign of James I and landing on the barren soil of New England founded populous and mighty colonies were his sons, his direct and legitimate sons. And that American nation, which we have seen growing so rapidly, boasts as its father, the humble reformer on the lake shore of Lake Lehman. Lorraine uh, Bettner summarizes these things when he says, politically, Calvinism has been the chief source of modern Republican government. In fact, Lorraine Bettner here quotes a historian by the name of Bancroft who said, quote, he simply calls, quote, Calvin the father of America and adds, he who will not honor the memory and respect the influence of Calvin knows but little the origin of American liberty, close quote. What is the central point that I'm trying to make here? The point I'm trying to make is we would not have freedom without divided government. And we wouldn't have divided government without an understanding of total depravity and our founding fathers would not have understood the doctrine of total depravity the way they did without the influence of the Protestant reformer, John Calvin. And so without the Protestant Reformation, the American system of government as it exists today simply would not exist. Now, let me take you to a second area where I believe that the Protestant Reformation had an influence on the foundation of America, and it has to do with America's early educational system. You see, America's founding fathers were influenced by the Protestant Reformers, and the Protestant Reformers, particularly Martin Luther, believed in the priesthood of all believers. He did not believe that the priesthood rested expressly and exclusively with Roman Catholic hierarchy because he believed that we are all, as God's people, priests. 
the priesthood of all believers. This concept is taught many places in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2 comes to mind. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 and Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 comes to mind where it tells us that the Lord has made us all into a kingdom of priests. And if indeed we are all priests, then the understanding of the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible does not just rest with the clergy, but the laity, so-called, need to be in a position where they can read and understand the Bible for themselves. And this explains Martin Luther's emphasis on getting the Bible into the hands of the common man. Luther spent a good chunk of his life in the Reformation era translating the Bible from the original Hebrew and the original Greek into the German language. Why did Luther do that? Because he wanted everyone to read the Bible, because he believed in the priesthood of all believers. Notice this quote here from Martin Luther. He said, I am afraid that the schools will prove to be the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the heart of the youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. In other words, Luther is saying we all need to read the Bible. And we all need the Bible translated into the language of the common man. And in order for that venture to be successfully carried out and successfully executed, then literacy standards must be increased. Uh, This is why everywhere the Protestant Reformation spread, there was an emphasis on raising literacy standards for the simple reason that we're all priests and we all need the ability to read the Bible in our own language. Now, this mindset spread to American shores. Notice what is called the Old Satan Deluder Law, given in the state of Massachusetts in 1647. And that Old Satan Deluder Law was a representation of the first public school system in the United States. And here's what the law said, quote, It being one chief project of that old deluder Satan to keep men from a knowledge of the scriptures as in former time. It is therefore ordered that after the Lord hath increased the settlement, they shall appoint one within their town to teach all such children to read. They shall set up a grammar school to instruct the youths, close quote. In other words, we've got to get the youth literate. And the reason we've got to get them literate is we don't want a regression to the former time when that old deluder Satan kept men in darkness, that pre-Reformation time period, where they were going to be in the state of ignorance, manipulated by the Roman Catholic hierarchy. Now, as literacy spread for the purpose of reading the Bible on American shores, 
America very quickly became what we would call a Christian nation. In other words, it was Christianity that was the dominant religion in America because people were taught the Bible from their youth. Remember what Abraham Lincoln said. He said the philosophy of education in one generation will be the philosophy of governance in the next. And this is how America became a Christian nation. Notice the words of Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman who came to visit America. He said, There is no country in the world in which the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America, and there can be no greater proof of its utility and of its conformity to human nature than that its influence is most powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation on earth. The bottom line is, without the Protestant Reformation, we would not have divided government because we wouldn't have the doctrine of total depravity. And we wouldn't have the priesthood of all believers, which influenced the spreading of Bible literacy throughout America. You're listening to Encounter God's Truth with special guest teacher, Dr. Andy Woods. He's in the midst of talking to us about the Reformation and America. Our tradition is to take time each fall to consider the importance of various aspects and outcomes of the Reformation. To hear all of the programs from past years of Dr. Wood's teaching about the Reformation and other subjects, or to listen to this program again, visit us at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Remember that you can find our sermon audio page easily when you visit our website at whitcombministries.org. And for additional encouragement throughout this fall season, follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. Now, it's time for Dr. Woods to answer a question about his message. So, Dr. Woods, we'd like to know, where do we find evidence of the influence of the Reformation upon our Constitution and other founding documents of our country? In our presentation, we trace the influence of the principles of the Protestant Reformation into the founding of America. Those two major principles are total depravity and the priesthood of all believers. Total depravity created a distrust in human nature. In other words, those running the government are tainted by the exact same sin nature as everyone else, and therefore political power must be decentralized and dispersed. According to Anthony Scalia, that dispersal of power is in fact the very thing which has kept us free, low these many years as Americans. And of course, that second principle is the priesthood of all believers. Because all people are priests, the Protestant reformers reasoned, they all have to be able to read the Bible, all people, in their own language. The interpretation of the Bible is not just left up to the Roman Catholic hierarchy. And so everywhere the Protestant Reformation spread, literacy rates increased. And that came right to these shores here in the United States of America, where the original public schools, tracking it right back to the old Satan deluder law of 1647, those schools were raised up to teach grammar and reading and writing 
so people could read the Bible in their own language, so we would not have a regression back to the pre-Reformation Dark Ages. And it was this emphasis on Christian education that caused Christianity to permeate and spread throughout the United States of America like very few nations on the face of the earth to the point where Alexis de Tocqueville noted that what made America different as he visited our shores was America's Christian foundation. And so we're enjoying a lot today here in the United States of America. We're enjoying a Christian foundation and we are enjoying living as a free people in a divided, non-tyrannical government. And you can thank the Protestant reformers for those two contributions because those ideas affected our founders. Our founders incorporated them into constitutional law and early practices in America. And that's what's given us the freest, most Christian nation on the face of the earth. Thank you, Dr. Woods. We're grateful for your grasp of theology and history and your willingness to share it in your ministry to us. We look forward to the conclusion of this study on the Reformation and America next week, and we invite everyone to come back and listen then. This series is not only informing our understanding of the Reformation, but it's also preparing our hearts for Thanksgiving in a special way this year. And we are thankful to be able to reach you every week here on Encounter God's Truth. It's a great privilege and a wonderful opportunity. I'm Wayne Shepherd trusting that God alone will be glorified this week as you encounter His truth.